Just good morning to you this morning on this warm spring morning in northern Indiana. Uh, it was a great day. I've, I've chosen to um, rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. And uh, besides, I have plenty of coats and I have gloves and I have hats and I got a closet full of clothes. And so it's on days like yesterday and today. Rejoice evermore, the Bible says. So I try to be obedient. When my son was playing golf with snowflakes in Angola yesterday. Um, but uh, grateful. Uh, as my wife and I got our tarps out last night and covered up our tomato plants and our pepper plants and our flowers, and we've saved them from the frost. Praise God for frost. Amen? (laughs) We're glad you're here today. We don't tell you enough, but uh, thanks. Thanks for just showing up this morning. Thanks for coming to Grace Community. Um, We wouldn't be Grace Community if it wasn't for you. We have an awesome opportunity as a group. We are the church together. The church isn't the building, it's us together. Thanks. There's hundreds of churches you could have chosen today. We're grateful that you chose Grace today to come and hopefully be challenged and to lift up the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus and maybe to be affirmed in your walk, maybe to be encouraged. But for me and from us and those of us who call Grace home, thanks for continually making Grace your home today. Today we continue in this series that the choice is yours, and we've put a little spin that we have a choice not to do things. We can choose not to do things. Today we have an opportunity, and you do, and you might even have to utilize this choice before you leave today, before you leave the parking lot today. The choice not to make excuses. And whether you realize it or not, and whether I realize it or not, we have these default systems in our lives that we just default to. It's almost as if it's become our native language. We think no before we think yes. Someone comes to us, and in our minds, if we're not careful, instead of finding all the reasons why we should do something, we look for all the reasons why we shouldn't do something. And sometimes it's just one lame excuse. And I wonder how many times in our lives, and maybe it's today, maybe it's this week, that God has come and he's knocked on your heart, and the Spirit has whispered in your ear, and you read through Scripture, or He sent someone along to speak a word into your life, or maybe you listened to a worship song, or maybe you've been out running in creation, and maybe that, 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 that moment that you've had with God, you know it's from Him, and this, this moment comes, and, and you hear from the Holy Spirit, and you realize, this is what God is asking me to do. It's in those moments that we must throw away our excuses. Yet as we age... We develop healthy and unhealthy patterns. Some of us think no to everything. Some of us have even neatly couched these cliches and answers as if it's a righteous response of some sort. We couch them in, in ways that, that, that sound really, really righteous. And so here's how, it, here's how it unpacks in our life and your life sometimes, and maybe my life sometimes too, as I've walked through this journey. We all have to be careful that we don't allow these excuses. Someone comes to you and opportunity surfaces. Some of your default system excuses are, well, let me check with my wife. Some of us use that. And how many of us men, husbands, actually go back and ask our wives? We just know that that'll give us 24 hours and maybe they won't come back and ask us again. How many of you use the excuse, well, let me, let me check with my husband. 
yet you never check with your husband. How many of you have, have parents and you say, well, let, let me check with my mom. My mom. My mom says it's okay, yet mom's never heard from you two years, three years, or four years. How many of us have just these incredible, righteous excuses? And we say something like, let me, let me pray about it. Let, 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 me, let me think about it for a few days. Or this excuse. We say this. Well, I'll let you know tomorrow. And tomorrow is just this land that's mystical and never appears. How do you define the word excuse? It's to release one's duties or responsibilities. To, 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 to renege upon something, to refuse to accept responsibilities for. And so if we're not careful, we have all these excuses when God comes to us. A story is told about a man, a monk, in the early years of 404 AD who heard from the Lord and he knew that he needed to step into this dangerous situation because God had spoken to him. Instead of choosing an excuse, he chose to follow through. Listen to this true account from 404 AD. In the days of the Roman Empire, the great Colosseum of Rome was filled to capacity with spectators coming for the state games, watching human beings battle against wild beasts or against one another until one or both died. The crowd found its greatest delight in the death of a human being. When Honorius was emperor of Rome in 404 AD, the vast crowd watched the contest. A Syrian monk by the name of Telemachus leaped into the Colosseum floor, history tells us. So torn by the utter disregard for the value of human life, he cried out in the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. The story goes on to tell us the spectators became enraged at this courageous man. They mocked him and threw objects at him. Caught up in the excitement, the gladiators even attacked him and a sword pierced him. The gentle monk fell to the ground dead in this Colosseum. The story goes on to say from history that the entire Colosseum fell silent. For the first time, the people with the insatiable bloodthirst recognized the horror of what they had called entertainment. Telemachus kindled a flame in the hearts and conscience of thinking persons. History records that because of this courageous act, within a few months, three months, the gladiatorial combats began to decline and very shortly passed from the scene because one man dared to speak out because the spirit had prompted him to do so. I wonder what God has called you to even this week. I wonder what you have made and what I have made lame excuses for because of something that we believe would keep us from doing that. Today, we're gonna get a story about a man God kept coming after him, kept coming after him, kept coming after him, kept pouring into him, told him he was the man and picked him out of all the other men and yet this man kept Coming back with excuses. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus and let's take a look at this man today who chose to make a lot of excuses. My hope today is this, that we choose not to make excuses. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand, but turn to Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter two, and we're gonna read verses 11 through 15. When you find that, stand with me. And we'll read it out loud together. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. 
Exodus 2, verse 11 through 15. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Then when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Median, where he sat down by a well. You may have a seat. We jump to this account by the name named Moses. Let me just give you a real quick follow-up to this point. Moses obviously was born, and, and when he was born, Pharaoh, who ruled the Egyptians, put a decree on the land. He said, we've got to kill every Hebrew boy. Moses' mom didn't want him to die. She knew the edict was in the land to kill all the Hebrew children, so she built this little ark, this little boat that he could float in, and she put her baby Moses, she put him in the Nile River and float him away. Story tells us in Scripture from Exodus chapter 1 and 2. If you look there, it says that one day that one of Pharaoh's attendants came alongside and saw this baby and realized, that's a Hebrew baby. She felt compassion because she was a, 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 a mom, because she was a woman. She looked, she said, we need to save this baby. Meanwhile, Moses' sister, who was older, was standing on the shorelines watching her little brother float away. This attendant of, of Pharaoh said to, to, to Moses' sister, she says, can you find a Hebrew woman to nurse this baby? Because we can't kill this baby. She had compassion for this baby. So picture, baby should have died. Moses should have died. Mom puts him in the water. She's thinking, I hope someone finds him. And, and, and so Pharaoh has an attendant, comes along and has compassion and says, this is a Hebrew baby. We can't heal this, kill this baby. Meanwhile, Moses' sister's on the shoreline watching her. And the, and the woman turns to this Hebrew woman and says, can you find a Hebrew woman to care and nurse this baby. She says, sure, I'll find someone. So she goes and gets Moses' mother. Moses' mother begins to nurse the baby. Pharaoh says this. He says, not only are are we going to care for this baby, but we're going to pay you to nurse your child. So there's definitely, there's favor on Moses' life. Fast forward to what we just read. Moses grows up. He's living in the house of Pharaoh. He Looks like an Egyptian, but he's a Hebrew. He goes out in the desert and sees this Egyptian beating up this Hebrew. It disturbed him. His anger got the best of him. He sinned. He kills the Egyptian. He doesn't know what to do. So he digs a hole in the sand, drops this Egyptian in, thinks, no one saw me. Continues on his life. A couple of days later, he looks out and he sees these two Hebrews fighting each other. He's saying, why are you fighting each other? You're, 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 you're brothers. Like, we're Hebrews. We don't fight each other. And the Hebrew looks, well, what are you going to do? Do what you did to that Egyptian yesterday? And he realized that someone had seen him. And all of a sudden, Moses began to process this thought. I wonder how many other people saw me. And this guilt begins to consume his life. And so that began the journey for Moses to look at his past and let his past freeze him from becoming the man that God wanted him in the future. And so he becomes this person of excuses. 
Let me just lay a foundation this way. Excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. Think about that for a second. It's the worst case scenario for Moses. Pharaoh who had raised him, now look at verses 13. He kills this man. And then it says this in verse 15 of chapter two. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to what Moses? What's it say? Come come on, come on, you gotta help me. Chapter two and verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to do what to Moses? Kill Moses. But Moses did what? What did he do? Fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Medium, where he sat down by a well. So we find him by a well. He's running away. He's hiding from God. He says, Pharaoh's going to kill me. And I want to say, he already tried to kill you once and God spared your life. And now he's there and he's there again. And he's thinking, he's wondering, he's looking at his past. And as he's sitting by that well, the only thing that he could think of is that he was a felon. He was a murderer. And there's no way that God could ever use him. So I need to go on the run. He could not get past himself, even though God would very quickly. Look what happens next. Look at verse 16. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 16. Look what it says. Now a priest, a median, had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their what? What did he do? Rescue and watered their flock. Verse 18. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked him, Why have you returned so early today? Like, it usually takes you longer to water the animals. They answered, An Egyptian, they think's an Egyptian, it's Moses who's a Hebrew, he looks like an Egyptian, rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Ruel asked, where is he? Why did you leave him? Like, that's the kind of man you want to hang out with. Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Isn't it amazing what's happening here? I mean, just just set the groundwork here. Moses is running again. He's sitting by a well because he has a a kind heart. He sees some ladies who need some help. The shepherds are pushing him away. He steps in. He says, hey, they need to water their animals. He begins to water their animals. And so this this man invites him to, to the house, And he says, hey, you can have my daughter in marriage. He ends up marrying this daughter. And all of a sudden, God sets him back up again. You would think at this moment that he would be able to become the man that God wanted him to become. Yet, he couldn't. He kept thinking about this thing in his past, how he had failed miserably. He kept thinking about that maybe he wasn't forgiven of it. And so he began as we know from this account, to be a person of excuses that had the words, I can't. He kept thinking, there must be someone better. I could never recover. I cannot talk about this because I killed somebody. I'm not worthy. I'm not the man. I wonder right now, how many of you are using the I can't language and you are a blood-bought, forgiven Christ follower? So look what happens next. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23 During that long period after he was married, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their their cry for help 
because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So God needs a deliverer. You and I have a choice to make to not make an excuse. Now think about that second. God's about to call Moses. He has a choice. Lord, I believe. Or he can say, I can't because of this. I can't because of the sin. I can't because of that I've killed this Egyptian. I can't, I'm not worthy, I'm not. And God continues to come after him. Picture if you can, Moses is hiding and still reeling from guilt, wondering if he'll ever be used by God again. And God calls him out of his litany of excuses. I heard someone say recently this, he who excuses himself accuses himself. There must be something, there's gotta be a reason that you're excusing yourself when you say I can't. There's gotta be a a reason that, that you believe something. There's gotta be something that you're accusing yourself of that says I'm not able, I'm not worthy, even though God has equipped you to do so. Moses is going to be called by God. He's going to be empowered by God. He's about to lead his people. And yet Moses is about to run through this litany of excuses because he who excuses himself accuses himself because we can't get past our past. I've said it this way. Some of you today in this room, some of you in the link, some of you are watching by internet, you are letting your past Problems, failures, and sins haunt your future. And you are haunted by those sins. You are haunted by them. And you wonder, boy, like, like, like you, you're just like Moses. I wonder how, who else knows that I did it? What if they find out? I could never be. So many of us who call ourselves Christ are afraid to step in because we think that someone's going to drudge up the past of something that we've already confessed to God. He's already forgiven. He's already, Jesus has already taken it to the cross and we daily want to take Jesus back to the cross and be crucified again. And he's already forgiven us. Think about this for a second. When God looks at you and I who love Jesus and have a personal relationship, we are covered by Jesus' blood. We are declared righteous because of the work of Christ, not because of our works. So we're haunted every day by our sins. Like if I were to ask you to raise hand, how many of you are haunted by something that you did this week? How many of you are haunted by a poor decision? You wonder, could I ever come back from that? What if they found out about that? And so when God comes, you retreat with your excuse because you've accused yourself of something. And the Bible says that the only accuser out there in Revelation 12, 10 is Satan himself who daily accuses us in the throne room of God. And God daily says, listen, forgiven, 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 bought by Jesus' blood. So we become the haunted houses, but the only problem is, is that we scare ourselves. So day after day, we look in the mirror each morning and like today, you might have woke up and said, it's going to be a new day. It's going to be a new day. And you look in the mirror and the enemy whispers, remember, someone else saw you. You're not forgiven. This took place. And if we're not careful, we will become an excuse maker that accuses ourselves of our own sins that God has forgiven. So watch what happens to him. He's looking for a deliverer. Chapter three. So God needs a deliverer. 
Chapter three and verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his brother-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared. The angel of the Lord is a, is a phrase in the Old Testament that's a reference to the manifestation of the incarnate form of Jesus Christ. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. I love the next thought here. Like, wouldn't every man like, think this thought too? So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. Why that bush does not burn up. I just find it very interesting. I'm just, this is very dude understanding here. Like, how many men, you'll understand this. God used the fire to get a man's attention. I mean, nothing's changed, has it? Like, build a fire. Just, just build it, like, out. Just be out there caring for your sheep and your cattle, and let's just get a fire over there. What happens when you see a fire? What do you do? Throw some more in. Like, nothing's changed, has it, since even time of Moses? And so, this fire, this bush is burning. God gets his attention. Look what it says in verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord, now look, look, I love this phrase. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, like, he knew what would get a man's attention. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now, this is, sometimes we read this because we've seen the cartoon version of this, like a burning bush and it spoke. Blah, 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 blah. But just imagine, okay? Just imagine you're out this afternoon taking a walk. And you're going out to see your sheep or your horses. You're going out to see your cows. And, and this fire happens in this juniper tree, in this bush, like all by itself. And you're looking at it. I didn't start that fire. I heard that fire start. And you walk over it, and the leaves aren't burning. The, the, br- the, the limbs aren't burning. It's staying green. And while you're standing there, someone speaks. Like, wouldn't that get your attention? And then it says, it calls you by name. Now, this was before tape recorders and modern technology. So you would think, like, like I want to jump into this narrative and say, Moses, but hey, Mo, that never happened before. Pay attention. But there's something in him that doesn't allow him to believe that even though God is appearing on the scene, that he's the one that God wants to use. God meets us with grace and he's patient with us. So watch what happens next. He sees this talking bush and then in verse five, God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Pereasites, the Hivites, the Mennonites, the Jebusites, the Gigabites, all the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to who? Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites 
out of Egypt. Now, pause here a second. In his mind, Pharaoh is not a good person to see. Why? Because Pharaoh was the one that tried to kill all the Hebrew boys when he was an infant, and he knew that. Pharaoh is the one, and back here in, in, in chapter two that we just read, in verse 15, it says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, tried to kill Moses and now God is saying, guess what? Guess who you get to see tomorrow? Hey, Mo, go see Pharaoh. His trepidation, his fear begins to envelop him. And so he's gonna to begin to think, why I shouldn't do that? God, are you sure that you want me to do this? Look on, look on as we read on here. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Excuse number one. Moses says, God, um, let me give you a little history check here. Uh, Not very long ago, um, I was out in the field and I saw this Egyptian, you know, one of yours. And, uh, people and God don't you remember and you created all the human beings and don't you remember God that, 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 that I killed somebody and now you're asking me to use me I'm a murderer I'm a felon go get someone who isn't a murderer and a fel- not a felon God I'm not worthy even though God said I want you to go I talked to you from a burning bush I want you to go. Moses begins in verse 11 with an excuse by saying, who am I that I should go? I want to jump into this narrative and say, Moses, God wants you to go. And not only does he want you to go, he is going to supply the way for you to go. He refuses to believe. And he begins to go on this litany of excuses. I love what Ben Franklin said about excuses. He said this, he who is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. This is the make or break moment for Moses. God is going to use his unconventional ways and means to tell Moses and he meets him in the pasture from a burning bush that doesn't burn up and he speaks his name and says, tell him that I am has sent you. His response is an excuse and excuses are the tools of the incompetent. I was thinking about that this week and how we allow them. You know, we talk to people often and you talk to people and we say, we don't want to enable people. Like we don't want to become the crutch for someone where we always come through and do the work that they could do on their own. There are points where we step in and we help them to get on their own two feet. But we we often talk that we don't want to be the crutch for someone else because if they don't stand on their own two feet, they never have a chance to fully trust in God. And so if we're not careful, if we we have the mercy gift too high, we will constantly enable people and become a crutch for them. In the same way, excuses. Excuses become crutches for people. And excuses are saying, I'm not able. And so we make these excuses. Excuses excuses are our crutches. I can't do that. I, I, I'm not able to. I, 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 let me talk to my wife. Let me, let me, let me, I'll tell you tomorrow. I did this. There's no way you could use me. I've tried that before. It can't happen. I, I, there's no way. And so our excuses become our crutches. 
Instead of saying, Lord, I'll go. And so every day we have this choice to make. Will we pack our crutches in our backpack? Will we take them to work? Will we go throughout our day so that we can automatically default? I'm going to ask the wife. Let me find out from mom or dad. Let me pray about it. In fact, let me fast and pray about it. And we never do it. And we have these litany of excuses called crutches instead of just saying, Lord, if you have called me and you want me to go, then so I go. Like how many of you are just, you're like Moses. God comes and man, you got them count. They sound so good too. They sound so righteous. And yet you allow these excuses to become a crutch in your life. His response is an excuse. So what's God do? He says, Moses says in verse 11, I can't go. So God said, what did he say in verse 12? I will be what? Okay. Like, like who would you want to go with you if you were ever going to, to, to face someone? Wouldn't you want God? And so God says, Moses, I know what you're thinking. You know what? I'll go with you. So just picture, I mean, modern, modern vernacular. You got to go somewhere and you got to talk to someone. Modern vernacular, just think, if you could visibly see as, as knowing that God is with us, man, you're getting in your car and you get in the passenger side and God drives, says, hey, where are we going today? I'm going with you. Wouldn't you think that somehow Moses would say, if God's going with me, then it's going to be okay. But look at his response. Look what it says in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So he, 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 he began to say in verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? I, I just convinced his voice changing. Have you ever met people that just whine? Life is so hard. Just, I mean, it's like, oh, it's so hard, so difficult. Just, uh, oh, I can't make it. I've had this too much. And have you ever given me a job? I just love spending time with people like that. Just love it. Like God is so much more patient than I am. I have a lot to learn in that area. Like me and whiners... We don't do too good together. You probably didn't know that. I wonder how many of us spend more time worrying about the responses from people than just doing it. For crying out loud, God says, I will go with you. But all of a sudden, I can't comes out of him. And look what it says. God said, after he said all that, Moses is excusing again. First, I'm not worthy in verse 11. Verse 13, what am I going to say? What am I going to say if they ask? And God said to Moses in verse 14, just say, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me. From generation to generation, in verse 16, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of the misery in Egypt into the land of all the ites, the land flowing with milk and honey. You see, our human tendencies are hard to shake, but God is so patient with us. Aren't you glad? Like, he's so much more patient than we are with each other. Like, as parents, how often, you, like, when your kid keeps coming and they keep whining about something and you know they can do it, 
and they come in that voice where it goes real high, and they keep coming back, and you give them another way. Well, try this, and here, Bobby will go with you. Take your sister with you. Hey, you've done this before. Hey, you have what it takes. Ah, no. Well, do this. Hey, I'll stand, I'll sit in the car and watch. Just that whining spirit, but God is so patient with us and our human tendencies are hard to shake, but God is patient with us. Often an excuse is as bad and even more dangerous than a lie because an excuse is a lie guarded. You see, we give an excuse and we we get on our crutches and and we come up with this excuse. Oh, I can't come because it's too hard, too difficult. Let me check with the wife. And, and often that excuse is worse because we haven't dealt. This is only a symptom of something else. There, there's something that's been unresolved, a lie that we're believing from the enemy. And if you don't deal with that, it's just a lie guarded. That's what an excuse is. And you'll never overcome until you deal with that lie in your life that you're believing. See, we hide the truth and never become overcomers when we give our excuses. Here's some of our neatly crafted excuses. Here they are. Someone comes to you and they want you to do something. And you'll say, I'm not joining because. Fill in the blank. I have no interest in that because. I'm too busy. I don't have enough support. I tried it before. I got something else planned that night. Yeah, right. I can't find a babysitter. I will think about it and get back to you tomorrow. How many of you ever get back to them tomorrow? Tomorrow, I said earlier, and defined in a better way, is that mystical land where 99% of all human productivity and motivation achievement is stored. We never get there. And the alarm buzzer has sounded. God has called you to it. He says, here, here's your chance. And it goes off and you just keep hitting the snooze button. No, Lord, can't, can't, I'm not worthy. And, and, and he, he comes after you again because he's patient. And the alarm goes off again and you hit the snooze button. Like, like I'm going to delay this. And some of us have hit the snooze button of the faith callings on our life so many times that we don't even hear the call anymore. Is that you? The alarm goes off. God's called you. Snooze. It's so much easier. I don't, they won't find out about me. I don't have to step out in faith. Snooze! And before we know it, this is the picture of a redeemed, blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ. No! No! So Moses makes another excuse, and suppose I go there and God says, hey, tell him I sent you. And so verse 18, God is patient. Look what it says in verse 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness. Other Offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels you. So God says, I'll stretch out of my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. 
and after that, he will let you go. And then God says this to Moses, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to give her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. God even says, listen, I'm gonna give you clothing. I'm gonna give you jewelry. I'm gonna give you money. I'm gonna give you all the plunder. So go, if you're wondering how your kids are, if they're scared, just tell them, hey, you're getting the Under Armour stuff from the neighbor boy. It's yours. He even speaks to the language of the kids. He says, I'm going to supply you, give you everything. I am with you. You would think at this point, wouldn't you think that Moses say, amen, 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 amen. What's his response? Look at chapter four and verse one. Moses answered in his whiny voice, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses said, uh, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a what? What's it say? And he what from it? <laughs> Think about this. Now he's, now he's going to give him like, he's going to be like Houdini. Like, not only are you going to go, but I'm going to, there's only way this can happen if, if the, the anointing of God is on you. So he says, here, take that staff. And he, he says, now throw it on the ground. So he takes a staff and he throws it on the ground and pssst, snake. He said, now grab that snake by the tail. You know, imagine. It says when he threw it on the ground, he ran from it. Now he says, now go pick it up. Can you imagine that snake? It says, he's never seen a staff turn to a snake. And he reaches down and says he grabs it. Can you imagine? He grabs it by the tail. And as soon as he grabs it, poop, snake. It turns into a staff. Snake, staff, snakes. Wasn't that? I mean, that's all I would need. Like, imagine. Hey, let me show what God can do for me. So you do that. Watch what happens next. As if that wasn't enough. Verse five. Or verse four, he says, then the Lord said to him, hey, Mo, reach out your hand and take it by the tail of the snake. So Moses did that. Verse six, this said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to who? Okay, as if that wasn't enough. Like, in my mind, that's enough. Like, I, man, I'd be using that baby all day. What you say? Let me show you. Look what happens next in verse six. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses puts his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was what? Leprous. It had become white as snow. Now, put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was what? Like the rest of his what? L- listen, I mean, I, this, this stuff, like we, see, let's don't over, look how powerful this is. Think about this for a second, just think about it. He has his hand, normal hands, he's already picked up a snake, so he's probably over there practicing, M- most dudes would. Hey, watch this. He says, hold on a second, Mo, I got more. He says, take a hand. So he sticks his hand in his cloak and he sticks it in there and he pulls it out and it's like, whoa. Now stick it back in there. Pull it out. Whoa. 
Can you imagine he was probably going? <laughs> Why? God wanted him to know and the people to know that God was with him. Look what happens next. Verse seven. In verse eight, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you, like at this point, like what do you need, Egyptians? What do you need, Israelites? The Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the now, pour it on the dry ground, the water you take from the river will become what's on the ground. Oh man, I... I I'm just telling you how I'm wired. I'd be practicing that at night. In all seriousness, like, like, God, are you still with me? Yep, you're there. Are you there? And my sisters, boy, oh boy, I have some fun with that snake in the bedrooms. Now you would think, in all seriousness, wouldn't you think that that was enough? Moses, what's he do? Then the Lord said, they don't believe in the first and second, the beloved Moses said in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I might be able to make snakes and blood and leprosy, but I can't speak. Excuse, 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 excuse. Listen to me. There aren't nearly enough crutches in the world for all our lame excuses. So what's he say? He's so patient. Verse 12. He says, I can't speak. The Lord said in verse 11, the Lord said, who give human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you what? And will teach you what to what? Oh man, just listen to what's happening here. He says, not only, you don't only have to think about it. No, it's like when you go into your study this week and you have to proclaim truths, when it comes time for sermon writing, you know what's going to happen? There it is. Just speak it. You mean I, I, I don't need to, to do it? No, just I'm going to tell you what to say. He even says, and so he walks in again. And so you would think like, okay, Moses has got to get rid of the crutch. Verse 13, look what he says. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Excuse again. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? (laughs) The patience of our God. He says, I know he can what? What? Speak what? Well, and he's already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. Now that's important. Now listen, this is where it's important. Because we've got to understand what's happening here. Moses hadn't seen his brother in a long time. And it just so happens that God said that, Aaron, guess what? He's on his way to see you. It just so happens that that he's on his way. And and while he's on his way, we want you to know, Mo, guess what? He's going to be glad to see you. Why did he tell Moses that? 
Because Moses was still reeling from the sin of his past. In his mind, he probably thought that his brothers knew about it, that his family knew about it. And, and here's what I love. Listen to me. God is working behind the scenes to bring you victory before you woke up this morning. Think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. Think about this. Before Moses woke up that morning, God came to Aaron. And for us, he comes. And maybe, maybe it's a devotional time. Maybe it's, maybe it's just this prompting of the spirit. Maybe it's a reading of his word. Maybe someone speaks into your life. And he came to Aaron and he said, hey, Aaron, I want you to go look for your brother today. Aaron says, I don't know why he wants me to look for my brother. I haven't seen my brother in years. I guess if God calls an obedient brother, he gets up and he says, by the way, when you go to see your brother, you'll be glad to see him. So God had already put into motion Aaron to come to speak for him. Why? Because he knew Moses would make excuses, but he wasn't letting him off the hook. Our God is so patient with us. So watch what happens. Verse 15 He'll be glad to see you in verse 14. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And then he says this, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. (laughs) Verse 16, he will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your what? Mouth. And as if you were what to him? Wow. Why would he be God to him? Because God was telling him what to say and then he could turn to his brother who was elegant in speech and his brother spoke for him and you would be as if God was to him, to your brother. So look how it ends. He will speak to the people and it would be as if he were your mouth and you were God to him. And look at, look, look at this, look at this. He probably saw Moses' eyes like, but what if, well, what if? What if I don't say the right words? What if, what if I forget? What's God do? Even in the closing of this paragraph, look what he says. But he reminded him, take the staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. So we know the story. Moses finally steps out and lives the way that God had called him to live. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, he's in the hall of faith because of his faith. Why? Because there finally came a point in his life. God was patient with him. He finally tossed his crutches and faith demolished his excuses and he led the nation of Israel. Faith tosses the crutches. Faith obliterates excuses. When God calls us, he supplies us and not cripples us. Faith is never wrapped in the crutches of an excuse. It's time, grace community. It's time, Christ followers. It's time we toss the crutches. Lord, help us today. 
God, give us faith to trust in what you say. God, help us to believe in you. God, help us to remove the excuses that we've couched so righteously. I pray, God, that we would think yes before we think no. Lord, help us, God. Help us to be willing to step out and go when you call our name. Please, God, give us faith that crushes the crutches. In Jesus' name, amen.